from the twisted realm of science and the darkest pits of reason comes chilling tales of godlessness. Bear witness to the unfathomable terror that is... The Good Atheist. Welcome to the GoodAtheist.net podcast. My name is Jacob Forte. And I am Jeffrey Jones. <laughs> you can just start talking like this? I'm trying new new voices. Okay. I figure I haven't been here in a while, so it's like a chance to make a new impression, so I'm going to be like, I don't know, I could be all suave. How long has it been since you did a show? There wasn't snow on the ground, so it's been a while. Um, it's been over been two months, maybe? Two months, three months. Well, when was the last time I did anything? That's a good question, actually. I, I had a party the, uh, that I invited you, and you didn't show up. I know. I wasn't really feeling up to it. You never feel up to any parties. It's not that. <laughs> you are the opposite of a party animal. Hey, winter is just a rough time for me, so I don't... It's a rough time for just you, huh? Just me. Do you do you know? Here's, Those homeless here's... people are a bunch of whiners. <laughs> Serious wusses. Have you ever thought that maybe... Just maybe, winter might be easier on you if rather than seclude yourself in a cocoon, you actually uh, engage with people. Yeah, I thought about that, but then I realized that everybody else is so cheery during this, si- during this season. I'm just like, nah. They're cheery for probably about four more days. It's true, and then they got to go wait in line at Boxing Day and be all like, I didn't want this watch. I don't know why I bought it. It was on sale, and now it's cheaper. Oh, my son hates me. It was 90% off. He told me he wanted a Wii. This toy is useless. Do do kids still want Wiis? I don't know, probably. They don't know any better. They're stupid. (laughs) (laughs) Not stupid, just ignorant. Just ignorant. ignorant about the world. They're ignorant about the world. Actually, don't get anything video gamey. Like, don't. Just get a PlayStation or something. Today on the show, it's going to be a bit of a grab bag because (laughs) we have... Yeah, clearly, Jeff's on. But as well, we actually have an interview with um, Roger Nygaard, who did the movie The Nature of Existence. So I finally did an interview. That's going to go in after the show. It's uh, it's not bad. It's actually pretty good. Roger's very... uh, He was a good guest. Cool. Uh, and, uh, And I'm sure everybody's going to really enjoy the show. So that's going to come later. Uh, on today's show, we're just going to shoot the shit, because this is literally the last show that you're going to hear until the new year, where everything is different. Is this potentially the last show before the big move? This is the last show before the big move. Not doing any other shows that's before. That's pretty crazy. So this is the last non-Skype podcast you're doing. This is, yeah. This is uh, the last one that wow. isn't a new setup. That's... uh. That's I have, wild. I haven't even had time to really train myself on the uh, on the whole Skype. Yeah, thing, I don't so. know how the logistics of that are going to work. You're going to have to. I I, I, I You'd be I surprised, know. man. I have a lot of Skype experience. Well, no, I know I know that. I'm just saying the way Skype records sometimes with the lag and stuff. Well, it just yeah. requires a little bit more. Editing, uh, editing guess, yeah. and what have you. Probably but two separate files, one for you, one for Ryan. It, well, I don't know. what. The, does yeah. anyone really care what the fucking schematics of it is? As long as the sound quality does not deteriorate, and in a sense, you never really know that we're not in the same room. Because think about this. We live in a time really unprecedented in the, 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 you know, the history of mankind where really you can move away, really far away, and it doesn't change shit. This is true. We still talk all the time, but... It's mostly online, even though you live just a few blocks away from me. 
I do live a few blocks away from you. Let's just—it's cold outside, okay? That's fine. I mean, it's, cold. it's just the same thing. Yeah. It, rather than it being cold, your area is cold. My area is warm, but I am in a different area, nevertheless, still yes. communicating in a almost real time. Almost. There's like a delay of four seconds or so. No, no, no. It's not quite that high. The delay is however long it takes for the signal to travel at the speed of light. So it's still pretty. It's not much of a delay that you can notice. We'll see. I'll just make sure next time we Skype, I'm downloading a fat wad of stuff. Just to, just to, to do what? To spite me? To spite is that what you. you're doing? Yeah. This, yeah. This, is what, this is my New Year's and resolution. Here, and here I was hoping we were going to have a nostalgic uh, episode. What, you know, me we, spiting you isn't yeah. nostalgic? I do everything for spite. <laughs> you're my most spiteful friend. I definitely. am. Wasn't I talking to you earlier when we were listening to Betty Davis Eyes on like while we were playing video games about how that reminds me of a friend who wronged me ten years ago? <laughs> And how did he wrong you, Jeffrey? He made me stop playing the song. Right. You know... Hey, I was paying for that cable, too. It was a song ten years ago. No, it's it's now twelve. Okay, yeah. Twelve years ago. This is a song ten years ago. This is before the internet and had, like, MP3s flying all over the place. This was like, shit, man, it's a song from the 80s and I don't have to pay ten dollars for a compilation album. So that's why you're still hung on it. You can listen to it any time I now. do listen to it any time, despite what why he might have wanted. And and yet the song is ruined because you have mental problems. No. I want you to speak to someone. Maybe that's the, th- maybe that's the thing you should treat yourself to. My, my yeah. New Year's resolution is therapy. I was, having, I was having a thought. I could put a donate button. Donate to Jeff's therapy. <laughs> hey, look. And it goes just to that. It doesn't go to feeding me or any of that stuff. No, it goes you don't directly deserve food. You've to wronged me, too. A couple of news uh, yes. elements about the site that mm-hmm. I guess people should probably be aware of. Number one, so a lot of people ask me questions saying like, oh, where's the feed? How come my old feed doesn't work for members? Remember, you have to log in right now. Mm-hmm. You have to get your shows manually. I'm still working on the getting the iTunes thing to work, but it's not going to be the old feed. So you can forget about that one. You can erase it and delete it. Go on the site to make sure that you're still a member. And if you're not, you can uh, email me because uh, either two things happen. One, I forgot to put you over to the new uh, system. Or two, your subscription ran out, and you need to pay more money if you want to keep will, living. Will the new feed have the old podcasts as well? Yes, I'm. Okay. I'm right now. I'm still uploading all the the podcasts. I think I'm somewhere around number forty uh, some odd. Man, that's a lot of podcasts. Um, you know, it's really funny because I I can keep track now of who downloads going back. No one has gone as far back as episode fifty five. Even even new members. I, I just I wonder, like, them, do people though. really, I mean, the backlog just seems gigantic. Is there anyone who's really going to go and fucking download every single one of them? Really? I don't, well, I mean, maybe if you're, st- I know, like, for me, when I'm watching internet stuff, like, podcasts and cartoons and whatever, like, I'll go back, you know, I'll go back and, but they were pretty bad. Some of the earlier ones. I mean, we we well, know these, that these are these are still like. I mean, things got decent around episode like, sixty, which is when yeah. we started the bonus show. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I would say I would say to not you know oversell the product that I sell. That the shows are decent. No, no, the shows are decent. Now, what I, what I'm saying is like, let's say let's to, to use a comparison. Let's say you're someone who's a fan of The Simpsons and you go back to watch The Simpsons. You're not gonna watch season one. You're not because <laughs> it's not good. <laughs> Season one was pretty bad. Exactly, it's the same principle. It's the same principle. It's like, yeah, it was it was enough to get you into it, and it got better over time. But looking back, you're like, man, it does not age well. And I'm no. sure that it's the same. Plus, it's with some probably of some ones. of it's probably not relevant anymore. You know, because there's a lot of current event shows too, right? 
Yeah, well, I mean, the grab bag today is going to be about current events. Let's talk about the first current event sure. that pissed me right off. It, it, something else that the Pope said now, as many of you know, there's continually more and more evidence, more allegations that come out uh, in terms of you know the Vatican's involvement in uh, you know shooing away pedophiles, including certain documents that have been made public due to the Murphy report. Uh, and those documents outlined a uh, uh, Father Tom uh, Tony Walsh, mm. uh, who had been you know quite quite the pedo, uh, who had he was essentially raping kids on a weekly basis, and the Vatican had tried to uh, es- essentially squash the report from being released on this guy. They didn't want anyone to know who he was, and also to the fact that they had tried to you know. Uh, cover his ass. They had tried to protect him from prosecutions. There are memos going out saying like, oh, we need to get him out of there because the police are getting on to him, so on and so forth. And then trying to make active steps to get him out. He wasn't able to and he was convicted. But that information has just come out. And you know what the Pope just said? On the fucking eve of this coming out, he said that the reason why they were sheltering pedophiles uh, in the 1970s was because society had made that acceptable. This was the statement that he That's made. why it was society that was chasing after them. <laughs> I don't understand Society who had made it illegal. Society that made it, it made it illegal, and I don't know any culture in the world that is where that's acceptable, but suddenly it's like, yes, we encouraged it. We made them the monsters they are today. No, no, you didn't. I want to know what 70s they were living in. I don't recall yeah, I, the 70s I, being the I, liberation I, of pedos. I just want to know where the fuck they get off. Honestly, I I hear about this and it's like I I in terms of my disgust for the Catholic Church and this whole pedophilia scandal thing, it's it's been capped off like it's hard to fucking, feel more angry. Exactly. I I've been ever since I think it was 2 years ago or a year ago when I watched this documentary with this Irish uh, reverend there. It was what was it? Deliver me from evil. Deliver me from or, evil. Yeah. Yeah, I after I watched that, I was like, okay, that is the you were asking, was, why isn't he in jail, right? Yeah, why isn't why he is in jail? No, like, why isn't he dead? <laughs> <laughs> All right. No, but uh, and, to that extent, like, it's like, no, I, holy I it. it's fuck, cold. this guy, and the fact that he didn't seem to, like, if, not to talk too much about that documentary, but if you haven't watched it, watch it, and you're going to be like, why the fuck is this guy so, like, casual about, like, maybe I'll just talk to them and see how things go. I'm like, you fucking raped them. You get as far away from them as you can. Yeah, you want to make their lives easy? You make them think you're gone. Yeah. Tell them that you were hit by a car and died a slow death. Yeah, that would make them happy. But no, it's like, at that point, I was just like, okay, I'm fucking disgusted. I'm done. I could not hate the Catholic Church anymore. And so they're just adding on to it, and I'm just like, I, it's impossible for me to be enraged at you more. So now it's just like, you guys, just, just fucking admit that it happened and fix it. Stop making excuses. Well, the problem, the, there's two problems. The first issue is the fact that it's never been a crime in canon law to actually sexually abuse anyone. It's considered a sin. But we all know how Catholics feel that, about sin. That, no way. Me, that, that alone, the fact that the Catholic Church assumes that it's above the law like that. Well, it, it definitely feels that it is. Yeah, above it's the like, law. well, it's, it's, it's not, we don't think it's a criminal. Well, good for you. You fuck off on your little island then. <laughs> <laughs> they don't, it's not an island. It's, it's just a, I it's say, a golf course sized mega palace. Well, then we fucking fence them off like the dinosaurs in Jurassic Park who are less menacing 
And just let them run. <laughs> yeah, well, the dinosaurs, they stay sorry, put. Just, they I'm stay real, put on their island. These go. ones go out. There we go. I'm sorry. I'm just, this, this subject makes me really angry. Like, I'm so angry at these people. Well, the, like, I think the reason why they, they, they try to blame uh, society is I think that there's at least some Catholics out there who really feel that it, it was society becoming less moral, less Christian. And as a mm-hmm. consequence of, say, the sexual liberation of the 70s, they assume... Because they're uh, uptight, moralistic uh, right. bigots. Right. Well, they assume that, of course, this must have been the, the reason. It, you know, these priests were just, uh, you know, living it up with the, the everybody else's sexual revolution. Yeah, we, we became more amoral, apparently, in the 70s. Well, there was a... I mean, this is, for one, I mean, these people probably didn't follow history too much. I mean, I mean I'm, I'm a flunky when it comes to history, but thanks to my studies with the whole gay rights movement, I know at least this much. When the whole sexual liberation thing occurred, there was an organization that was a subsection of one of the gay liberation groups. And this guy actually started the whole, like, you know, the, it was almost like the precursor to NAMBLA. And he was completely like shunned oh, out yeah, of that he, society. He, he, he was he like, wanted, he wanted to kind of commandeer the the, the gay rights movement yeah, yeah, and like say, "Well, we the should sexual also expression should be for everything." And he was shunned out. So it's like, no, the sexual liberation actively discouraged that because there was a consent issue. Well, consent, age. You know, there there are certain yeah. things I think that um, you know will always be imperfect. But when we decide. Don't fuck children. That that tends to be a pretty good decision. It's a pretty standard rule. I mean, there's a lot of people out there ready and willing to fuck you. You don't have to rape someone. If you didn't get to listen to my last bonus show, if you're a member, uh, not a member, you should I become talked, one. I talked a lot about the case for the Pope, and I I, I talked also about the, the book, weird, right? yeah, mm-hmm. the, the the case of the Pope, that book. I I talk about or I talked about the the weird legal loophole. Mm-hmm. That the 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 Holy See finds itself under because it's given statehood despite the fact that it's not a state, and the uh, the Pope is considered a head of state and therefore mm-hmm. is is has some weird immunity. But this is something that could easily be uh, relinquished. It's it's mm-hmm. no, nothing is written in stone. They haven't been recognized as a state for very long by the UN, and mm-hmm. we could just turn our backs to them. I think this kind of thing definitely goes to show that we should. Every country in the UN should turn their fucking backs on the Holy See. It is it. It is over. They do not get to have a fucking uh, say. They're out of the grown-ups table. Yep. They, uh, you know, even if they would have tried as hard as they they, they could have to, to um, you know, jail offenders, it wouldn't have been enough. This has been going on. The systematic cover-up has been going on for so long. I mean, mm. they knew that it was an issue in the second century. Okay. They started making their own edicts, their own internal punishments. Mm-hmm. You know what some of the, in, by the way, you know what some of the punishments were for uh, priests that were found guilty uh, or, 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 or found raping kids? They would put them in community service, and guess where some of them would end up? Schools. K- kids' hospitals! <laughs> wow, it's like, oh, uh, you've been guilty of raping kids. Well, go to Candyland. Here and, and go fucking sponge wash some kids that's fucking smart and the problem too and this is how I don't think the Catholics really understand why their religion is so twisted and why it makes them shittier people a lot of Mm. the time is just because this obsession on sin and this twisted view of of sexuality Mm. uh, makes it more tempting and hotter and more forbidden and more fucked up 
if they just had a healthy attitude about sex... Well, they have that juvenile attitude towards sex, so it's like it's so fucked up because of that. Well, think about, think about this, where a lot of times when they, they, they talked about the abuse that was happening in, in Ireland, mm-hmm. uh, it was very closely related to sexual humiliation, you know, mm-hmm. uh, slapping their buttocks and, 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 and their genitals and things like that, and you just, they added that component in. It just, it, that's how twisted it got. That's how twisted. And the, the other thing I covered in the last show is that it, kids who are abused by priests end up being more fucked up on average mm-hmm. than any other abuse. That includes even from your own family. Well, there's no in, – in, in a religious household, there's no higher uh, authority, right? Like, nope. You can't go to your parents. The parents you, – your mentality is that – they you answer, know, Your parents answer to the priest. Exactly. So it's like – And the priest answers to God. Yeah. That's and, where it ends. And yeah, and the kids they don't have a direct line to God. No, they they, yeah, they, they have a there's a, there are lines that they can call. Yeah. And uh, and hopefully they choose they choose to, but uh, again because it's so traumatic, many victims don't end up coming forward. So what we know of the victims that have come forward is probably just the tip of the iceberg. Is probably just a small portion. And yeah. we n- there are there exists no statistics about the sexual abuse happening in Latin America and more importantly in Africa. Africa, right. I can't even begin to imagine. Well, a lot of the a lot of the abusing priests, that's where they ended up. That's where they got sent off to. You know, a part of that whole community service thing. Oh well, go set up missions in Africa with plenty of young children that you can fuck up. But you can blame society because it's easier yeah. that way. It's not your fault. You didn't have a systematic, uh, you know, network way of network cover up yeah. and freaking trafficking of pedophiles. <laughs> Obviously, it was society, society's fault. Yeah. Let's uh, let's let's shit on another group for five yeah, minutes. I, I want to shit, all, I wanna shit on Muslims. On I want to shit on okay, some let's, Muslims. Let's shit on Muslims. <laughs> it's not so racist. Wrong. No, it's not racist to say it. they're not a people. Okay, this is a belief. That's the first thing I want to talk about here. All right. I want everyone to stop being uncomfortable by saying I'm going to shit on some Muslims. It was more just a- the imagery of taking a dump on someone <laughs> than anything else. Well, if I would have said shit on some Christians, you wouldn't have had a problem with it. And let's be equal opportunity. All right, I guess haters. I'll be right. Yeah, yeah. No, I'll give you that. You're right. There was a study that, that was released on WikiLeaks a little while ago. And oh, it- WikiLeaks. And it found that one in three British Muslim students were behind uh, killing in the name of Islam, and about half of them uh, were okay with a Sharia law. Now, obviously, I think it's, a, it's probably very important to understand why WikiLeaks is the one releasing this report and not uh, anyone know, else. anybody else. And the reason is because that governments don't want anyone to know just how insane a segment of their population is. Because, you know, here's the funny thing. If you just tell the truth, you're labeled as a fucking racist. Okay? That's how it is now. Like, there was... Did you see the Intelligence Square debate? I put this on the site. I did uh, not. Ayan Hirsi Ali uh, uh, was, was debating on Is Islam a Force for Peace? Well, I've, I've, seen a, I've seen a couple of her presentations on that. I don't know if it was a debate I saw, though. I've seen her do presentations at TED and stuff like that. I recommend that you go to the site. You yeah, check for out sure. The debate. I love her. Uh, and by the end of it, I think they had managed to convince a lot of people that, no, it, it's, it's not a force for peace. I think... If they could have brought up this statistic, study? this study, mm-hmm. they would have found out, like, saying, like, look, um, uh, you, 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 you read this a lot. I was reading a cracked article that was talking about, oh, mm-hmm. five things that you think you know about yeah. Islam that are wrong. Yeah. And, uh, you know, of course, they, they go saying, like, oh, you think that they're anti-science and they're backwards. But look, 
in uh, in the tenth century, they were leading in astronomy, mathematics, and all this other kind of stuff. I'm like, that was your tenth century. You need newer data. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, I don't care if we look back at the history of something. That's not what matters to me. What matters is that how does that history influence our world mm-hmm. now, where the extremism that breeds from this religion is growing. It is capturing the hearts of people who believe in this. And why? Because the 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 tenets of Islam are incompatible with modern society. There's no fucking beating around the bush. You can have plenty of Muslims that are living uh, in uni- union with, with, with our modern civilized world, but you'll notice something. They don't follow their edicts. They're not good Muslims. Maybe they pray five times a day. Sure. But they don't follow all the motherfucking rules, do they? No, well, they don't. Well, it's the whole Muslim... It's the whole... Uh, the whole Muslim. It's the whole moderate versus uh, fundamental. I'm so sick and tired of that word. What did you what did you want to call them? Oh, that Tell us your little wonder, red. Come on, now that's going to sound nice and racist. Here we yeah, go. Yeah, here we go. No, it's just I thought it would be this, this was yesterday at about one o'clock at night one, in the morning when I got home from work and I read that article about the the cracked thing and I just thought it would be really funny if instead of using the terms moderate and fundamentals we used the terms um, domesticated and non-domesticated or undomesticated because <laughs> that is in, in a, it, well it's not it's not racist it's cra- <laughs> it's crass and offensive as yeah. all hell and yeah but the the point I'm trying to make is that I, I think for a lot of people or a lot of reasons that the whole funda- the whole moderate movement is not so much a they realize something is wrong with what their religion says and more society has sort of trained the people off of that thinking and it's sort of passed down through the generations like making a wolf into a poodle. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I like that. I I'm never going to live that down. I think that they should just be called uh, traditionalists or originalists because they, right. really, they really go back to the fundamentals. Purists. The purists, okay. right? Because for us, we always, think, we always think, oh, fundamentalist is someone who is crazy. But look, well, it's got if, mental a person, in it. if a person was you know, uh, fundamentally, uh, it wouldn't necessarily mean that they're crazy. It just means that they went back to the basics. Like, yeah, yeah, they were like distilled. Yeah, if you were a fundamental skeptic, yeah. right? Nobody would accuse you of, uh, you know, terrorism. That, that, no, that's not... exactly. It's like you're a rabid skeptic <laughs> going crazy, spreading your thinking. It's the same reason why whenever we're called fundamentalists, uh, the problem is that fundamentalism has been, uh, the word has been commandeered. Yeah. Being a fundamental is not necessarily a bad thing. No. Being an extremist obviously is, mm. uh, but just going back to the kind of like we're 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 gonna just go to the old school way that people used to believe. The reason that's scary is because the way that old people or people in ancient times used to believe was scary. Their societies were scary. Their fucking traditions were really scary. They're not in sync with the modern world. They really aren't, they, and, and they're not compatible at all. And people know this. It's just we're too damn polite. We are polite. We're afraid it's, of being called. Uh, racist or bigots. Right. Well, I mean, just just now with me and that whole like, yes, in jest, I'm talking about the whole undomesticated, domesticated thing. And but at the same time, I'm like, am I? Up, I might be offending someone. And I'm, you know, it's like, not really. And even if I am, who cares? It happens. Well, you know, it's the same thing because I'm susceptible to it just as much as anyone as the next guy. We want to we want to be sure we want to make sure that we're fair because no yeah. one no one hates uh, that title. Oh, I mean, no one loves that title. We we all we all detest being called bigots. But I I think the important part here is is for us to not be afraid to say the truth. You know, if yeah. a third of uh, British students, people that live in the Western world, should that should really be uh, this should not even be an issue here. They should understand that no, killing is wrong. We we, we live in a society where why should this happen? 
Uh, but 33% of them? That's too high. It's too high. I, and and I, I'm like, as a skeptic, I want to see the study. And the study is in front of me. And I'm like, that's not right. The numbers are wrong. <laughs> I don't want to look at these numbers. The <laughs> these numbers are wrong are... numbers. I will bury my head in the sand. It's better. And, you know, 40% of people supporting uh, sh- uh, mm. Sherry a lot. I think it's kind of uh, just uh, as an interesting side note, yeah. as we move along in the grab bag, was a woman in Bangladesh who recently died of her injuries. What had happened was that she had been essentially having an affair with her stepson, and she had been caned 40 lashes. Of course, I suppose to save time, the, uh, the, the person giving the sentence decided to tie 10 reeds together. And hit her four times. And hit her four times. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, after a couple of uh, days, she succumbed to her wounds, and she died. Now, in Bangladesh, it is illegal. Sharia law is illegal. No one is supposed to carry on these sentences, but they still go on because these communities are tight and they want to do things their own way. And, of course, what happens? Well, this barbaric kind of treatment ends up killing people, and this kind of thing happens all the time. Here's another classic example, something that happened in Britain. I don't know if you remember this. Uh, uh, Harry Potter star was essentially threatened with death by her brother and her father. Who also live in in Britain. They also are British citizens. Right. And uh, they they felt this way because she was dating a non-Muslim man. And uh, they had threatened her with death as a consequence. You know, again, it's like that whole, oh, I don't want to seem like I'm uh, intolerant. You really have to understand, see, a person could say, and they would be slightly justified in saying this, that, oh, well, this is just a tradition that predates Islam. Okay, fair enough. Why isn't that uh, they're the ones that hold on to it? You see what I mean? Like, this is a, this is a huge problem. Religion likes to uh, make traditions sacred. Mm-hmm. This is part of the traditions that is carried over, and it's, and it's essentially being maintained by Islam. They've adopted it, okay? That's the crappy thing about it. Maybe it predates them, and maybe it had nothing to do with the original intent of Islam. It doesn't fucking matter what the intent was. You're left with what you're left. Yeah. And what do we have? Honor killings, where the estimated amount of women that are killed every year from honor killings is almost like 50,000. 50,000 women around the world being killed because they looked at a boy funny, or they dated someone that they shouldn't have dated, or they fucked before they were married, and now they have to be murdered in order for the family to have honor again. And the whole family takes part. It's like, yay, mother holding down the daughter. Let's fucking put her in her shallow grave and smash her face in with rocks. This is what we have to face. And meanwhile, if you say that to anybody's face, like, you're being racist, and you're forgetting about all those Muslims that are living in community and are being peaceful and And are doing science. And are doing science. And to that, my answer is the entire system of belief is corrupt and wrong. But here's the cool thing. All other religions are the same. Except yours is the crazy one on the block right now. Yeah. Well, yeah. You've got a bit of the crazies. You never really went through a reformation. You never really were forced you're to still, play by the rules. You're still in that awkward puberty. Yeah, well, uh, you know, we, we, we really could stand to not have to deal with your awkward puberty. It would be better if you just disappear, if everyone stopped believing in you. There's a couple of uh, things that are kind of encouraging. I, I've seen a lot of... Because the majority of Muslims are not uh, Arab. They only represent, I think, some like 12% of the Muslim okay. population. majority are actually Asian. Uh, and if you look at the way that Asians believe in Allah, it's fucking hilarious. It's just essentially the same old superstition that you'd have in Asia and add one more god. That's, that's, their, that's how Muslim they are. Like, 
most fundamentalists would look at the way that Asian Muslims are Muslims and they would just not even consider them Muslims. They would fucking kill them for being idolaters or what have you. So mm -hmm. even when you think, oh my God, so many people are, 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 are Muslims, really, honestly, their religions are just as plastic and mm -hmm. malleable as everybody else. They check Muslim on the survey and that's about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the level of devotion, the whole sort of jihad yeah. thing, that's not really their bag. That's nope. not really it's their just bag. that the ones that support it are just so loud. <laughs> they are loud, aren't They're they? They're so loud. So... Before we go to the interview, uh, let me ask you, what exactly are your plans for the holidays? Huh? I, I, the winter my, solstice? My actual solstice plans? Yeah, your solstice plan. I do not have any. I yes. am probably going to work on a website, try to get some comic drawing done, and probably, most likely, I'll just play rock band all day, because I am an antisocial monster. <laughs> Uh, that and sounds like a yours? lot of fun. Uh, well, I'm going to go over to my dad's and uh, celebrate Christmas over there. It's going to be it's tough because this year my family's actually split off, split They're up all like, over the place, all over, right? the, all yeah. over the place. Um, I think my mom's in Florida, my sisters in Bermuda, my other sisters in Guelph, and uh, they're all over the place. So. Because I'm the only one that's I in town in Quebec, I'm going to go and visit my dad. And uh, so that no one gets left totally alone. That's that's <laughs> how Christmas is. It nobody gets left. It's totally a compromise. Alone. No man behind. Leave no man behind. Oh, yeah. And then when I come back, it's nothing but pack. And uh, yeah, no word. And uh, and after that, after New Year's, I am on a plane. Who the hell knows? Yeah, he'll yeah. be doing like he'll be doing uh, tweets from his cell phone. Like how um, how long can I ask them? How long will it take for? Things to roll back. Uh, yeah, like when will we see the next podcast after the move? Oh well, you'll you'll see it like after the holidays. It'll just you know podcasts will go up. Regularly. So there's not going to be like this whole like I spent like two weeks moving in and enjoying the beach and being with my girl. No, but see, here's the thing. Stuff. I'm smart. I'm pre-recording some podcasts. <laughs> well, like you. So even if I did want to sort of like take some time off. I will be building essentially what I'm doing while the holidays are there. I'm working to make right, sure that right. after the stockpile, stockpile to make sure that the that two weeks I can kind of relax and whatever because I would I would like to take a little bit of a some time off just to really decompress, yeah, uh, and and get back to 2011 with a lot of new fire because the, the whole the whole reason for the move too is just kind of to get my ass in gear. You know, sometimes yeah. you need a real a change in your life. Yeah, I, I know there's a lot of people, uh, you know, they're probably even listeners right now that always feel kind of like they're stuck in a situation. They don't don't know how to get out, and they don't realize what's what's necessary. Sometimes is a change so drastic that you can't fall back on your mm -hmm. old habits or the like, old way of doing. things. You have things. to put yourself in a in a. You almost have to paint yourself in a corner, kind of thing. You have to. Put yeah, but not in a, a dumb way. No, right? well, that's not what I mean. I was just, I was looking for the better analogy, but yeah, you 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 basically have to make the situation. You have to force yourself to take the certain actions by building the situation around you, kind of thing. I feel to some degree also this is the year to make good atheist work, uh, you know, with the new site design and some of the new things that I'm going to be constantly uh, adding to it, which include the store, which is finally up. So anybody Ooh, who's go like... Go buy a t-shirt, people. Go buy a t-shirt for Christmas or whatever. For winter, ha ha winter Holocaust. Winter <laughs> What? I was trying to Winter put solstice. I was trying to put solstice and Hanukkah together. It has been a while it, since you did a show. It has, and I put together a Holocaust. <laughs> Walking in a winter Holocaust. Nice. Yeah. I'm not gonna get letters about that one. 
No, well, I'll get letters. Yeah, go. so... Uh, Where's tw- your fan base now, Jacob? 2011 is, is kind of a, I don't want to say make or break year, but a lot of the things that I had yeah. been promising, I can finally start delivering because, you know, like that whole, I'm going to make a change to the site. It's going to happen someday. Well, blah, the blah, site's blah, blah, been blah. done. Well, it's almost done. Yeah, yeah. But once, you know, once you drop that hammer, you feel at least, co- you know, confident and comfortable enough to say, I can keep dropping other hammers. I well, can that's, yeah, yeah, you'll get bring the, mo- up you'll the book and... Momentum going. Yeah, yeah, some positive momentum. And, 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 and I got so many... winter. You're lucky in that. You're like I don't. You're like I don't have to deal with snow this year. I'm like I hate you. I, I hate just you don't so want much. to deal with snow anymore. I hate snow. I wish I didn't love Canada so much, but I freaking hate snow. Snow is um, evil. Evil. If you don't just, like winter sports, maybe you should learn an, uh, a, a winter sport. One that hopefully attracts has a locker room. Yeah, young men. <laughs> young men curious about their sexuality. <laughs> Uh, figure skating, then. <laughs> you should be a figure skater. I don't want to be a figure skater. No? No. What about I a figure skating coach? Work be the work of the Zamboni. What about if I could be a... a what about hockey? Yeah, but everybody's in the closet there. You that's, know what I mean? That's like, okay. There's deep room in the for, closet. There's, there's room. <laughs> there's playroom. There's playroom. There's in the yeah, closet? Yeah, why not? Okay. And it's that forbidden thing, right? Exactly. So it's forbidden. Hot. Although they'll have to shave during the playoffs, because I'm sorry, it's a gross look on a man. What having like a beard and the stuff? The crazy beard. Yeah, you're not. You're not like unless there's like you're running with a Saint Bernard. No. Well, uh, it makes it makes a guy look all gruffy and scruffy and stuff. You don't like this? I don't. It. It depends. Yeah. Not in a hockey player. If it was like if it was like a lumberjack with like the sexy bod and the, you know the the hair and the chest. Yeah, but it means a hockey player. Yeah. have a sexy bod. What are you talking? Yeah, about? Yeah, but it's a different type. It's oh. a different build. It's less. For me, facial hair only works on berry, bear type. You know what you are? You're a difficult, difficult bitch. That's, Prob- your, that's no, your problem. I'll give I'll that's your problem. that. And you know what? And that's why I spend Christmas alone. <laughs> <laughs> mystery solved, everybody. Ding, it looks ding. like we solved that mystery. Well, there you know we what? Go. Let's let's mo- let's move on to the interview. There we go. Uh, before we go, I guess I want to wish everyone a happy winter solstice, happy New Year's, and for those of you that actually like Christmas, merry fucking Christmas, because it's mm. not like I'm afraid to say it. Who oh, knew? Jesus has his greatest power surge during You wish Christmas. someone a Merry Christmas, you believe after all. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it must mean that we're actually believers you're a, all you're along. You're a closet Catholic. Yeah. You're like S.E. Cup. Oh, don't you dare call Burn. me S.E. Cup. Don't Burn. you dare. You're never coming back I'm on never show. coming back. This is the last podcast. That's it. <laughs> I could call Muslims animals, but if I call you <laughs> S.E. Cup, fuck that. Now it's over. Fuck that noise. All right. Well, Happy um, holidays, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks to my uh, get, special guest, Jeffrey Jones, and uh, and we'll catch everybody in 2011, everyone. Up after these commercials, my interview with Roger Nygaard. Who is that immaculately dressed man in the good atheist t-shirt? That man slash woman is a fashionable person wearing the latest gear coming straight from the goodatheist.net, baby. How can I get my hands on one of these shirts? On just one, don't be a fool, man. Get three, even though there's only one design Jesus saves. You need to get it. Buy this or burn in hell. All right, welcome back to the show. My guest today is Roger Nygaard. He is the filmmaker behind the movie, The Nature of Existence. So what? What? So uh, like you, you? So you've been in this business for a long time. Like you said, you 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 edit actual real shows, like uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm. I think you said you were working on. I'm as we speak in the editing room, waiting for Larry to show up. Yeah. So you've been so. in this TV business, uh, movie business stuff for a long time. 
I've been making little movies since I was a kid, and then finally got paid for it a few few years after college when uh, um, I did a TV show called Monsters, and then I've been working ever since. Monsters? Why does that sound familiar? It was a syndicated show yeah. that was. Uh, when did I shoot that? Like 1990. Who was who was in it? What was the what was the plot of Monsters? <laughs> well, there was a series called Tales from the Dark Side. And this was the same company. They had a series called Monsters. There were three seasons, and I did one episode. And my episode starred Julie Brown, the red-haired Julie Brown, and Kevin Nealon and David Spade just before Spade got on SNL. And uh, it was every episode was about a different monster. <laughs> That's awesome. So that was your big break. Yeah, right. That's when I turned pro. I got paid $1,000 to direct that episode. Man, how did that feel like the first time you really did that? Oh, it was great. I mean, you know, I can't believe someone is paying me to do something I would pay them to let me do. So you're you're the when you made when you made Trekkies and you you said because you were we we were talking on Skype before you said that Trekkies two was kind of like a precursor to the new movie, uh, the the nature of existence, the one that um, that, that you put out recently. And was was that the original movie you wanted to make? Was that like the big goal and you you decided, well, I can kind of piggyback that off Trekkies 2 or something? <laughs> no, it was more organic than that. I was Well, I made Trekkies, of course, and then seven years later, Denise Crosby and I and the producers were sort of brainstorming, you know, what should we do? Should we do a sequel? And kind of as a joke, we thought we'd do it like Michael Apted did with his 7-Up series where you would check in every seven years on the same group of people, 7-Up, 14-Up. 21 up, 28 up, etc. So we thought, all right, let's check in on some of our fan, our favorites from Trekkies, which we did, and and then we added, we need, you know, we needed. To, I think we we felt like we had to add more, so we also added an international aspect. We decided to go around the world and interview Star Trek fans in other countries. So if you look at Trekkies 2 side by side with the Nature of Existence, it's basically the exact same framework, where you know, somebody travels the world. It was me in this case, and Denise Crosby was the the host and Trekkies too. And she travels the world and talks to Star Trek fans and asks them theme questions like, "When is it okay to wear a Star Trek uniform in public?" and "What is the definition of a normal Star Trek fan?" And of course, nobody agrees. It's just it's all complete disagreement, which is where the fun starts. So you you filmed you filmed the two at the same time, essentially? Oh no, no, I did Trekkies too, and then. Using the same camera, I have always had this idea of doing something about existentialism. So, uh, you know, and I've had lots of debates with friends. I'm sure you've had them too, where you, you discuss these things, these sort of unanswerable questions, especially where people are so cocksure of themselves, and so you can't help but poke holes in, in their their uh, ideas, just or poke little doubts out there. And I did that. Lots of people, and I thought, why don't I start filming that? And and I did. And and I guess to me the idea it, it just seemed obvious. Where I kind of had to do the same thing. I really needed to travel to the source of all the religions and belief systems on the planet. And in that way, Trekkies too was just kind of like a dry run. I just did the same thing over again, except changed the focus of the top, you know, of the documentary from people who love a Star Trek show and. You know, show their love for this show in different ways to people who have supernatural beliefs. But I mean, in in terms of your personal 
uh, value system. Because the the one thing about the movie that I guess uh, was the great question for me is, what the hell do you believe? Which wasn't, which is was the part where I'm like, I'm not too clear. Our our guess was obviously just from a series of clues saying, like, number one, he has listened to the show and has has petitioned to be on the show. And he thinks that there <laughs> might be perhaps a slight tinge of of of, of lack of belief. And and your friend, the, the comedian. Uh, that you that that that's featured Steve Fromstein. Yeah, Steve yeah. Fromstein, who uh, who's who's actually quite hilarious. I really I really do, did enjoy his segments, and uh, and I thought to myself, you know, it's a shame that you couldn't have gotten him to travel around and have a bit more of that snarky <laughs> attitude when when talking to people. Uh, you know, in particular, my my thing was when you were talking to Ravi Shankar in your movie. And, uh, and, and this is essentially, I'm not going to say this is my problem with the idea of I need to travel somewhere to be able to, uh, hear it from their mouths is that still hearing something from a person's mouth doesn't really mean that you're hearing the whole story. Uh, I was, I was watching something on, uh, Jonestown and, uh, the leader, uh, of Jonestown for, you know, a long time, uh, Jim Jones, just kept on talking about how everything was hunky-dory and how everybody's happy, and they can provide that face. You know, you could just show up with a news camera and have believed it. But it doesn't necessarily mean that that's the entire story. So there, there's, there's perhaps the, the potential for a kind of, uh, how do I just want to describe it, like, almost like that, the, the experience bias that I'm there and I just saw with my eyes, and therefore I can kind of believe what I'm being told. Yeah, I, I can't disagree with any of that. I mean, partly, you know, you've heard the old saying, well, you had to be there. Right. You know, it, it feels more, it means more when you're there. And to me, well, just to back up your first question, the reason I don't give an answer at the end of the movie, you know, Buddhism is the one, or the Catholics got it right, or, you know, whoever, take your pick. The atheists are the winners. Because if I did that, I feel like I would be preaching. It would put a whole different uh, tenor on the film. And you, you, nothing puts people to sleep faster than preaching or giving them the answers. I think you have a much more successful time or successful teaching when you're teaching somebody if you can guide them to a conclusion on their own, which is the Socratic method of teaching where Socrates would ask his students questions until they came around to the conclusion that he is guiding them toward. It's easy to give people the answer and you know, say there is no God. Or the God, God's name is Yahweh, or whatever. It's it's much more successful uh, way of of giving people getting people to understand something if they arrive there themselves. So I mean, I think there's only one rational conclusion that can be drawn from watching this movie, and the rational people will draw that conclusion. Irrational people, it doesn't matter what you say. You're never going to convince them. So this film is sort of aimed, I think, at the middle, those, those independents who, who decide elections, the ones who are swayable. Because if you don't start out with an agenda right up front, I think you have a better chance of getting people's defenses to come down. And then once their defenses are down, you have a much better chance of, of getting ideas through. Well, you know, I don't, I don't disagree with that, with that point uh, because I've always said – 
that, that, that we need to range in terms of discussion on, on the rational and on, on uh, you know, all matters. You know, you have in, in the atheist community, you have people that are more accommodationist, and you have guys like me who just go around saying religion sucks, fuck it, fuck it, fuck it. And I stick by those words. <laughs> and, and I think that, you know, I'm obviously I don't recommend that everybody deals with religion the same way that I do it, but that's only because I, I, I cater to a particular uh, particular niche. So I, I, I can, I can definitely understand it. And particularly you said before, you know, like the, 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 the people, people that need to be swayed are still the majority, right? And the majority are more numerous and they buy more movies. <laughs> well, yeah, if you want to affect people, preaching to the choir isn't going to change any minds. And, you know, I, I'm more interested in getting people to think for themselves. That's all, really. I like, I like everybody to think for themselves. I think we'd be better off if people did. And it's surprising me how few people do that will do that who are self-critical or critical of their own opinions. Like where did where did my opinions come from? Why do I think the way I think? How many people ask that question? Most people just assume that the, that their opinions come from some special valid place, right? But they change throughout your life, and there's a reason because you know. Only a sane person could hold on. Or, or, only a only a sane person would change their opinion over time. An insane person will refuse to change their opinion over time, despite the overwhelming evidence that may be contrary to their opinion. So it's just a matter of trying to inject a little rationality into the debate by putting ideas out there. The film is, of course, filled with ideas from all sides of the spectrum, and then. You decide for yourself, which is kind of what Trekkies was like. It's really, I guess, the tone of my filmmaking. Well, you know, it's funny. Um, um, uh, one of the things that I was commenting on on the other show, or we reviewed your movie, was just the the breadth of people that you had interviewed. Like this is this is the part for me that's the most impressive. And and I really hope I, I didn't get around to getting to watching the bonus materials just yet. Uh, I've been crazy busy, but. Uh, I, I also hear somewhere, somebody told me that there was even more bonus material maybe um, waiting because, I mean, there's, for any geek, there's just a, a list of people that you just had access to, <laughs> you know, in, in, including uh, Kirshner, which is probably, at least mm -hmm. right now, probably, in the, you know, a couple people are very curious, what would Kirshners have to say about some of the some of the topics that may have come up that didn't make the movie, just... You know, for practical reasons, you can't spend the entire time on you know your favorite guy. But uh, I, you know, I have to I have to wonder like how much footage did you really get? How many how much conversation did you really get out of some of these? Uh, oh, man, people? so much. I mean, I had 450 hours left over. Oh. I, I did well. I did 170 full interviews, including Irvin Kirshner, you know, and, and all the rest. Where and the reason it took so long and two hours plus is because I would ask everybody the same questions, the same list of 85 questions that I came up with, which were once I sat down to write a list of the toughest questions I could think of, I had 85 of them, and so it takes a while to get through them all, especially when they want to talk about it. A lot, you know, the religious people, they take a lot longer. The atheists, very quick interviews. <laughs> because they say, no, nope, don't believe it. No, that's bullshit. No, no, there's nothing there. No, there's no soul. I mean, whereas, like, this rabbi, one of my first interviews, a rabbi in Jerusalem, it was about a five-hour interview because rabbis will talk and tell stories. And that's how they answer unanswerable questions is by telling parables, which are really not answers. They're just ways to 
make you think about an answer, maybe divert you from thinking yeah, about they, an they, answer. Yeah, they pretty much distract you. They're distracting, and they are uh, obfuscating <laughs> parables. <laughs> yeah, well, like any good magician, you, you need to distract people. Look over here while I'm doing something over there. And uh, <laughs> the, uh, the Satanist I interviewed, the head of the Satanists, um, he was very interesting because it turns out Satanists are not devil worshippers. Yeah, they're hedonists, they just, right? That's their whole thing. Right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> They've just adopted Satan as their mascot. And, uh, <laughs> it's a publicity stunt. It's like, hey, this is hedonism. Join hedonism. And it's, and it's funny, too, because they have a whole hedonistic philosophy behind it. And uh, although I, I, I fundamentally disagree with it, I, I kind of find it hilarious, especially the design of, of the whole thing, you know, their costumes and, and, and style. Uh, yeah, they like to do dress up yeah. and role play and have fun. You know, every day is Halloween. <laughs> the hedonists, of course, his, every day is Halloween. <laughs> his main thesis was that religion is like taking the Catholic Catholic Church as his prime example. He did. He said, if you take basic human emotions, which they call the seven deadly sins, you know, envy, greed, sloth, just laziness, right? They're things that everybody feels, and you make them into deadly sins that require absolution. That means you have to go to church every week to get absolution for feeling the way you feel normally and leave a donation. And so they created this this cash machine by by turning these normal emotions into sins. So that's part of the, you know, deflect people. Look here while we're doing this over there. It's a brilliant uh, – I mean any company will tell you that if you create a need, it's far better than uh, actually fulfilling a need because fulfilling needs are difficult. Creating needs are easy. You just create a product, create the need for that product, and people will just follow like sheep. Well, people are very insecure. I mean that's what leads to a lot of supernatural beliefs is trying to get control over your environment, which we really don't have control over. Oh, well, control is so illusory. Um, although what's interesting, I, I was watching a, a documentary on uh, the volcano Krakatoa, I think it was, and uh, it had recently become active, and, and uh, a seismologist there had warned the villagers, saying, well, you know, this this gigantic uh, eruption is going to happen. But the local, who was basically uh, a superstitious um, shaman, was saying, oh, no, the I've talked to Father Volcano and he's not going to erupt. Now, about half the town left, and those that did are still alive, while those who stayed became just piles of ash. And and you're kind of, you know, it, it reminds me of that whole idea, well, what is the harm in superstition? You know, it's like, <laughs> I can give you some examples from just the other day, 300 dead from superstition, just for because they believed some guy who just made some shit up. Well, there's the other side of that very same coin, though. If you can convince an army of people that God is on your side, they may fight even that much more aggressively you know, in preserving their tribe or fighting for their tribe. If fighting aggressively is a, is, is a quality of, of anyone that en- ends up surviving, I, I don't think that's the quality we want. <laughs> but it's the quality we're stuck with because that's what turns in allows those people to pass on their genes to the next generation, that ability to believe – in the supernatural and uh, live more more aggressively or dangerously or f- to follow a, an insane leader more more ruthlessly <laughs> <laughs> more thoughtlessly that's 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 really the key <laughs> well we need sheep if we didn't have sheep 
you know, you need followers, right? Otherwise, we wouldn't be able to live in the luxury we live in in this country if there weren't a bunch of people working hard in sweatshops around the world. You know, if you truly were the kind of person who was empathetic toward all of humanity, you would give away all of your your you know computers, your your Blu-ray player, whatever you have, if you to people who were less fortunate fortunate than you. I mean, if we all lived at the same Equal level. If we shared our resources equally among the world, we'd all be living at about $4 a day. Well, it's funny because uh, I think that to some degree when people uh, do end up traveling to see how other people live, uh, sometimes they choose to do that themselves. And I think the reason is actually kind of an, an interesting one that uh, we have things called motor neurons which trigger certain effects in us, like even physical effects, so that when you see suffering, you yourself tend to suffer and so on and so forth. I think the reason we are the way that we are, maybe the way that we, the reason why we may lack empathy is because there's so few opportunities for us to really have, um, you know, a, a f- the physical reality of, of all that suffering. It doesn't exist for us, and we, if, even if it did, we'd try to run away from it. It's not a reality that we have to put up with. But if it was, I think there would be profound change in people. I think you, you probably put your finger on something here. You know, we live in kind of a bubble. It's kind of a sanitized bubble in this country, and, uh, we do still have it's still a a hunger that we have it's an emotion that we do crave to feel and so that's why people go to scary movies and live vicariously through tv shows and movies to get their fix no it's very thrilling to 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 be able to 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 live vicariously through others <laughs> it's very fulfilling when you do that when you when you can step outside yourself and be like i'm not going to be my shitty person anymore i'm going to be uh, indiana jones for like 2 hours <laughs> So what got what got you ultimately in, in movies though? I mean, at the at the end of the day, like, what uh, what what kind of drew you to it? Ever since I was a kid, since I was seven years old, and I found my dad's eight millimeter movie camera, I've been making movies, making little movies, short films. You know, I started out with with goofy little shorts, and throughout college, I kept shooting. It switched over to video, and then after college, I moved out to Los Angeles and have been doing it just kind of nonstop. It's just what I've sought out since I was a child, you know, and about that same time at the age of seven is kind of when I, my existential crisis began or the seeds of it began. And throughout my life, I've been obsessed with existentialism. And so finally, my movie making and my existential uh, obsession intersected in the making of this film, The Nature of Existence, you know, decades later. Well, what what that you said in your documentary that at seven, that's uh that's it. Was that when your father father passed away? Was that uh, uh, thirteen? Thirteen. So okay. the, right. The, there were three three main events in my life. I think it, that were existential triggers. And the first being age seven, when I realized I was going to die someday, which is kind of a shock to a, a an entity that assumes it's permanent. Why wouldn't it be? I've always been here. Why wouldn't I always been here? As far as I can remember, I've been here. You know, at the age of seven, and then you uh, you find out about death. And then at 13, when my father died, it kind of brought the concept home, made it concrete. And so I began asking a lot of questions of people that seemed obvious questions to me. It's like, well, if my father passed away and he weighed 85 pounds because he slowly kind of wasted away from multiple sclerosis, what version of him is now in heaven? Is it the 85-pound version that couldn't feed himself or speak or communicate or some earlier version that is vibrant? And... uh, that brings up more questions. You know, if a baby dies, does a baby 
go to heaven as a baby for eternity, or does he get an immediate college education? And and who chooses his major? <laughs> well, he's got an infinite a, amount of time in super happy land <laughs> to do it. Don't you know? What, what, yeah, well, it just didn't make sense to me. And so uh, nobody had any answers, of course. They come back, well, you have to have faith. We don't know God, God's will. And I thought those aren't answers. Those are deferring the question. And it's it just illogical. And, and But, you know, we... I did, like everybody does. You brush that under the, the cerebral carpet and go on with your life. And when 9-11 happened, it forced our entire country at the exact same time. What was unique about that is that a whole country of bubble livers had to face their own mortality at the same time for about a week until they could push it back under the rug again. But for me, it was too late. It was like the, the wall was down, and, and, and I began interrogating my friends. So like, you know, what do you mean there's an afterlife? Where, afterlife? Where exactly is it located? So you must have been the really popular guy at parties then, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, it, was, it got to be a little bit annoying, I think, to some people. And, and, but that was when I thought, why not start filming these discussions? And that's where it started. So, so when you decided to, to, to finally actually go out and, and, and film it, that's... That, that, when, when did that start exactly? Like, uh, you know, did it take 2004 that you started 2004. filming? 2004. So you, you finished filming. Yeah. When, 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 when did that uh, occur? I guess uh, principal photography. Is that how it's described? <laughs> well, four years. Four, yeah, four years of principal photography. Four years of shooting and editing to, to amass 450 hours of footage over 170 interviews all around the world. And it took me a long time to edit, as you can imagine, all that footage down into a 90-minute movie. And then a year of uh, taking the film to film festivals, and then now a year of uh, commercial re- release. It was putting out in movie theaters last summer, and now uh, it just released to d- DVD. And uh, has anybody like um, uh, like have, have distributors like picked it up, or are you still sort of like trying to find? Uh, do you have any distribution in Canada? Yes, yeah, I have a d- distributor. I have a distributor uh, who has. Uh, been releasing the film we did the theatrical release very small and independent and then uh, similarly the dvd is a theatrical and independent release um and dvd and blu-ray and video on demand and all the usual suspects netflix and our our website oh wicked wicked because uh i've been i've been begging everybody to get on that service (laughs) seriously it's the only one i use now i can't stand going to, to to movie uh places and being charged like uh, five dollars for a fucking movie. I'm like, that's not happening. That's not happening. It is the future. I mean, the only problem with Netflix is that uh, you don't always get all the bonus stuff, unless it's all on one DVD, or you get you get the bonus DVD with it, uh, or all the the supporting material. Uh, th- that's the only problem, I think, unless you get we get the whole package from them. Well, I I, I always wondered why. Um when when you were releasing your movie, while well, you hadn't done it kind of the same way that uh, the movie uh, the God who wasn't there uh, God who wasn't there did it, I thought their their idea was brilliant, where they had released a, a bunch of uh, content uh, for free, and then they had they they basically sold it on their bonus DVD thing because he had no real distribution, but he was able to like just crush uh, you know distribution online and uh, and, and really do quite well. <laughs> himself it was it was pretty surprising because you know that's that's to some degree that's that's the challenge of anybody trying to promote their stuff on on the web now is figuring out how to do that you know the the old the old way of doing it is not necessarily conducive to uh uh you know to marketing to the broader world (laughs) 
No, it's constantly evolving. You're right. You know, and so one of the things that I'm doing is having had all this footage left over. It was kind of uh, it was heartbreaking to cut you know, so much out of all the great things that Irvin Kirshner said, for instance, or Richard Dawkins or Julia Sweeney. They just have so much great stuff from them, and. Once the film was done, I took all that footage I left over and just started editing it, it into a movie, just as though I had no limits, just kind of for fun. And I ended up making a 14-hour movie. 14-hour movie? Wow. Yeah. So I did make it into a releasable seven-disc companion series where I put two topics on each disc. So we're in the mo- whereas in the movie... I only can spend like three minutes with people talking about morality. Where does it come from? Is it innate or is it just come from God? Is it is it genetic? You know, evolution, etc. I can spend a whole hour. I spent a whole hour with people talking and debating and discussing the origins of altruism and and morality, and all these other topics that um, like uh, existence and purpose and the afterlife, and prayer, and uh, sexuality, uh, um, God and the devil, etc. So there is now just which I just finished a seven disc companion set that's going to, going to be available as well. That's a beast. That is a gigantic beast. <laughs> Fourteen hours. Well, I I look forward to uh, to spending uh, you know a week trying to watch that. <laughs> it's like trying to watch the whole season of Twenty Four or something. You lock yourself in your apartment for a weekend. Yeah, or when, whenever people have those insane, like, uh, oh, let's watch the Lord of the Rings extended versions all in one sitting. And you're like, that is, if you do that, then you'll start having hallucinations. It's like, that's how long that movie is. <laughs> you're gonna, gonna have dementia. <laughs> well, one reason I kind of, I broke it up into topics. So, if you're really into God versus the devil, that's the disc for you. You know, or prayer in the afterlife, or, or free will. Whatever your topic is. Well, I hope that you have, uh, if you have some uh, transcripts and stuff like that that you want to put out of teasers uh, for your bonus material, let me know. I'd love to uh, to put some of that up uh, and uh, for people to see because definitely there, like I said before, there were there were quite a few speakers there that I found fascinating. One of them, including somebody that I was uh, begging in my my show to talk to, was uh, Chloe, who was, uh, you know, every time she came on, I have to admit, I was cracking a smile. Who is this little girl? What is she all about? This is what I need to know. <laughs> well, it's kind of ironic that I traveled the world to look for answers and found one of the most interesting people in the entire world lived across the street from me. She's the daughter of my neighbor. And I was just talking to my neighbor about my film. You know, you, you talk to your neighbors, right? Yeah, of course. And I was, what, what are you doing? Hey, Roger, what are you up to? So oh, I'm just making this movie about the nature of existence. <laughs> just that, you know, just chilling out, making a movie about the nature of existence. Whatevs. Whatevs. Yeah, what are you doing? And, you know, and he said, well, you know, it's funny. My my kids have been talking about that stuff a lot. And they're, they're you know, 12 years old. You should interview them. And so... I never turn down an interview opportunity because I n- you never know what you're going to get. It's always a surprise. You know, I, with Irvin Kirshner, for instance, I had no idea what his views or opinions were. I just liked, uh, you know, The Empire Strikes Back. So uh, same with Chloe. I had met her before, and you can tell that she's a little bit more, uh, a little un- un- unusual for a typical 12-year-old. Just a little, and, yeah, just a little. Yeah, she, well, she's very thoughtful, obviously, and, and her, her answers are much more... Uh, much more than you'd expect from a 12-year-old. And she, uh, I asked her after the interview, you know, how is it you're so well-spoken for a 12-year-old? And she said, 
well, I want to be president someday, so I read a lot of books. <laughs> Another reason why I need to interview this girl, I'm like, I'm utterly fascinated. Because one of, one of the things that she said in the, um, in the movie, uh, and I'll repeat it again probably for the last time, was the fact that uh, she had mentioned that heaven would be so crappy if everything was happy. Because you're just like, well, then it, nothing has any meaning. And, and the, the thing that I loved about it is I still can't say it as succinctly as she did. This is why I feel so embarrassed. You know, uh, out of the mouths of babes sometimes where all of the bullshit is just cut out and it's so raw. It is so raw and truthful. You're just like, yeah, I can't deny that. Her idea was, was right on the money, right, where she basically just says, what would be the point of a place, heaven, where you spend eternity – eternally happy and you have no choice to be other than happy she said i would feel like a puppet i'd feel controlled i would hate that <laughs> that is too much that is too much but yeah you know the the fact that it's your neighbor also is quite delightful because here's here's a man who goes out ventures the world and uh and that's not necessary that's not, not always necessary to get um many of the most interesting answers did you find like in general like cuz i know that uh, there was another shot where he would you asked the the cab driver and uh, how much how much of that was edited? Like, did he get frustrated after a while, or what was the deal with that? <laughs> that was my cab driver on the way to the airport, you know, on my way to to go to England to interview Dawkins, and I, I just thought, hey, I should interview this guy. Why not? Because everybody's got an interesting take, right? You'd think, and cab drivers are always they've got that cab driver philosophy, some of them, and. You know, it's just random. You never know what you're going to get. That's part of the, the the benefit of shooting 450 hours. You can cut it down to the stuff that's worthwhile for for the audience. <laughs> a lot of it wasn't. But no, did he get frustrated? No. These people love it. They love talking about this stuff. You know, if you could imagine going around the world or wherever, go next door to your to your neighbor and just say to your neighbor or your friend, "Hey, what do you think about this?" And then just listen to them. How often do people just focus on you and listen to what you have to say. I mean, normally you've got to pay a shrink $250 an hour to do that because nobody wants to listen to your crap, <laughs> right? But that's what I did. I traveled the world and I just listened to people. You know, it's really another definition of the word love. To love someone, you just pay genuine attention to them. It's like, what, what would you rather hear from your spouse or girlfriend, boyfriend, whatever? You know, hey, honey, I love you, but I got to go. I'm late. Or would you rather hear, honey, tell me all about your day. And then they sit there and they listen. It's like, obviously, we want to be heard. I know one of your other favorites in the movie is Aha. <laughs> who who is this person? He, he puts his finger. <laughs> well, you know, I, I love the fact that you don't expect him to be so erudite, and he puts his finger on it when this woman stands up and says, I can't, what is my purpose? I, I, I don't even know where to start looking for it. And he says, I hate to be the one to break it to you, but your purpose is that person next to you, right there. That's your purpose. What you're talking about when you when you talk about purpose is recognition. And I think people confuse fame as a goal in life. They can mis mistake that for a way to pursue happiness, and it's such a false goal. Happiness, as Julia Sweeney says in the movie, happiness is a byproduct of having a purpose in life. And so that's the real question: How do you find your purpose? Well, I thought, uh, you know, when when I was listening to uh, what, what 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 is that person's name again? Aha. Uh-huh. 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 Uh -huh. <laughs> um, can you explain uh, a little bit about this person's background? Because that, that seems to me at least the, the largest mystery is, uh, is, is just what is this thing and what uh, 
He gets paid to yeah, he gets he's, he's but yeah but how do you start as a guru cuz there was one guy that you were interviewing and he seriously looked like he used to sell real estate and just decided I'm going to just do the guru racket and I'm just going to make some fucking money like is it uh, is it really that easy in the US <laughs> do you just decide I'm going to put on a guru hat or fucking wear a muumu and I'm going to just show up and it's just uh, say like here's $50 per person I'm going to tell you what to do with your life is it really that easy Kinda, yeah. <laughs> I feel like I'm an idiot here. Like, why, why am I not doing this? <laughs> he charges $120 an hour, I think, for individual consultations, and then his seminars are $20 for it when it's everybody there. You can all, everybody can ask him questions. And if if you if you look in the bonus material on the disc on the special edition of the Nature of Existence, there's some bonus material footage, bonus footage of Aha in his seminar, where there. People are crying. They're sobbing. There's a woman in the front row sobbing, saying, "Why do I feel such a connection to you? I feel such love for you." And it, you know, if it's, that's a jaw on the floor moment, you know, where it's like, "Wow, what's going on here?" And but people are drawn to him and and gurus in general. They, people like want need someone to guide them in life, and their guides are like, you know, pe- people now. They used to have to go to get a degree to be a, a counselor, to be a, a psychologist, but now you can get a life coach who has no no degree and just tell you what to do. There's a lot of those in California, if I'm not mistaken. Life coaches in general. <laughs> I, think it's yeah. a, I think it's a cottage industry in, in California. Apparently people need, uh, you know, Coaches instead of uh, instead of priests. Maybe that's the thing about human beings, eh? Can we can we get to the point where we don't have to be told by some weirdo what to do with our lives? <laughs> like, honestly, you know, he used to be called a mentor. You know, the idea was you you find a trade, you mentor somebody, you learn from them, and then you become the master, and then you take on an acolyte. That's just how human beings used to teach. It's in it's within us. Yeah, well, they they had a difference back then. The difference was that usually the master was at least skillful enough to survive uh, from his craft. So you assumed he had some skill, but I think that generally a bullshit artist, <laughs> even me, even it's me, a complete bullshit line. artist, could go out there and just, yeah, it is a fine line. Like, how do you really judge the competence of of gurus? I mean, you look at guys like this is this this part just frustrated me, just watching Ravi Shankar uh, and, and his ilk, just his guru ilk, who go around and saying like, oh, life is nothing but love and all these things. And you're like, you are living in a fantasy. You, you live in a world where everybody fucking loves you. Of course you're going to think that the world is nothing but smiles. Like, what the fuck, buddy? I don't think you have a good grasp on reality, guru man. <laughs> Like this is. Did you get the impression when you were there? Because my, the whole thing was when people were saying like, "Oh, his his love is so unconditional." It it told me something about them. Is that you need love, uh, whether or not he's giving that to you is a different question altogether. But it probably just sure feels real. You know, if you did a survey and asked people, "Are you getting enough love in your life? Are you getting enough unconditional love in your life?" Most people are probably going to answer no. No one's getting as much as they want. So if you can sell somebody, if you can sell a product that makes people feel good, you will make a lot of money. Does your product make me feel good, Roger? <laughs> well, you, I don't know. How did you feel at the end of my film? Uh, well, I felt, I, I'll felt. i say that I felt entertained. 
if, uh, if, if that's a nice <laughs> well, compliment. That's a plus. That's a nice compliment. That's my first priority. If I can make people laugh, that's my first goal, is to make people chuckle and laugh because, you know what, life is absurd. And if you don't laugh, you'll go crazy. And, and there, if you felt anything beyond that, if you felt challenged or learned something or, or angered, I just take that as, a, as an additional plus. There's, uh, you're saying that there's a bonus one that's going to be coming out. Uh, when, when is this one coming out? Uh, in about, uh, well, imminently. So by the time this this uh, podcast airs, it will be officially, it's available on our website at thenatureofexistence.com. It's the, uh, where you can get, of course, the film. You can get the companion set as well if you really want to go deep into these subjects and uh, enjoy more and have, have more laughs or however you want to experience the nature of existence. And it's, like you said before, it's also available on Netflix, right? Netflix, yeah, all your usual, uh, all your favorite uh, video s- sellers and retailers. It, yes, it's widely available now. All right, Wicked. Well, thank you. Uh, you're, you, I don't want to butcher your last name. It's Nygaard, right? It's, that's how it's pronounced? Exactly. Perfect. Awesome. Yeah. All right, cool. I wasn't sure because I was going to say I had pronounced it before, and uh, I'm, I'm terrible with name pronunciations. That's kind of like my thing. I like to butcher them. So I'd like to thank my <laughs> So I'd like to thank my guest Roger Nigard. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, if you were in show. Norway, that is the correct pronunciation. Oh, well there you go. So I pronounced it both the correct and incorrect way. It's yeah. uh the correct correct and correct way. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well thanks Roger and uh, uh and everybody who's listening now who's interested in it, go buy the movie. Thanks everybody.